you are where you are. Don't be afraid. Just do what you have to do. And if you're uncomfortable with where you are, do something to fix it. But always remember, you can only be where you are. Just do what you have to do. You are now listening to We Are Crayons, the podcast. Conversations with Trinidad and Tobago's creative thinkers and makers. We'll delve into their processes, their struggles, and what drives them to execute continually as creative individuals. I'm your host, Dan McNichol. Do enjoy. Anthony Woodruff, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So Anthony, we just want to get started by asking you to tell us who you are and what do you do. My given name is Anthony Woodruff, with a junior, but for performance purposes, I go by the name Tony Paul, which is actually still my name because it's Anthony and Paul is my middle name. Ah, gotcha. My dad is a musician as well as my dad's cousin, and they both have the name Anthony Woodruff. So for the last eight years or so i've been using tony paul to try and give some separation um so when you hear anthony woodruff is not wait that's that's does he want us play trumpet like no yeah junior junior (laughs) so tony paul is is what i go by i'm a saxophone player Mm -hmm. i also play pretty much all the woodwinds and i also teach at the academy for the performing arts at utt Awesome, awesome, awesome. Explain to me what is a woodwind instrument. In terms of music, or if you think of like an orchestra, Mm -hmm. it's separated into different families. So strings would be violin, viola, guitar, cello, bass, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. Um, Then you have brass, which would be trumpets, trombones, euphoniums, tubas. Woodwinds is the name that is given to stuff like flute or clarinet and even saxophone. It has to do with the fact that a woodwind instrument hundreds of years ago was made out of wood. So that kind of gives rise to the sound quality that it creates. So it's not as bright or as piercing as brass, which is if you think of trumpets or brass instruments, they're usually used to fanfares and to announce the arrival of royalty or whatever. Exactly. Uh, Okay, gotcha. Who was Anthony as a child? I was always around music, like I said, because my dad is a musician. He played with Sound Revolution. My mom sang with La Petite Musicale, which is like a folk choir here. I think I always had an interest in music, sang in a primary school choir, did well in school academically. So there was always that. But I think it's really when I got to secondary school that it started to become a little more obvious that maybe I should focus on music. Okay. And what made it obvious for you? I just think in terms of my involvement and how much more I was doing it. Mm -hmm. I started entering Trans Tobago Music Festival when I was in high school and I entered the first time like about 13 categories, which generally was unheard of for a woodwind or instrumentalist because I was entering flute, clarinet, saxophone, recorder, right? Both the age group and the open one for adults and placing and coming first and going to championships and everything like that. So for me, it started to move from, well, my parents are involved and I kind of like it. So this is actually something that I can see myself doing with the rest of my life. So that happened when I was like around 14, 15. After Brigadine Out, this is what I want to do. How then did you pursue that to make it a reality? Well, my dad at the time was running a music school. So I was there um, initially on the program uh, as as a student and then like a year later, I was sort of an instructor helping other young musicians 
to learn the, the, their instrument. Okay, so I started, time. yeah, I started teaching when I was a teenager, basically. That's kind of led to me realizing that as a musician, it's not just about performance. Mm. You can, you can exist as a performer and make money doing it, mm -hmm. but you can also do related things, whether it's teaching or playing in the studio or whatever it is to, to make a living from it. So as a teenager, I started thinking, okay, well, yeah, I'll do music. Mm. Um, I did form six business subjects and I even started ACCA. Because That's accounting. Accounting, right. right. Because my grandmother said, well, you know, Anthony, you need to have a job in case, you know, the music thing is hard. So you have to have something there. Mm. And initially I was like, you know what? This makes a lot of sense. Let me go and do accounting. Let me have something that I can earn from. And I'll still do the music. And I was still doing music. But what happened was while I was studying accounting, I'd be going off to play a gig or just take one weekend off. And then by the time I sat back down in class, it felt like I missed a month and I'd only missed one session. Right. So at that point, I was like, mm, well, maybe the accounting thing as a fallback thing needs not to be a fallback Fall and I just need to do music. So for me now, I tell people, if you have a passion, pursue it. Don't have a fallback because if you have a fallback, you're going to stay in that fallback and you're not going to get to do your passion because any job is never secure. You look at the economy, something happens and there are retrenchments in positions where people thought, they would be there for the rest of their life. So you take a job and it's something that you don't necessarily enjoy, but it provides a living and then you lose it. So you've spent your entire life doing something you don't love and you still have problems. Whereas you could have made a sacrifice to do what you love. It going to be hard, but at the same time, you get to live your dream. So if I had to do it over, I think maybe I would not have started ACCA. I would have gone straight off to do music. Having made that decision then to say, okay, I'm going to stop doing the ECCA. What was your next step then? I spoke to my mom. I spoke to my grandmother and I told them, it's really not making sense to me. I cannot do accounting. And my mom was like, okay, well, what are we going to do? So I started looking for programs that would make sense financially. And a lot of people go to the U.S. to do their undergrad, that like Berkeley and all of these places. It's super expensive and it's four years. So I had a cousin that lived in the U.K. and she recommended uh, a school called Leeds College of Music. And when I started researching the school, it's one of the oldest jazz programs in the U.K., so the school had like a long tradition of having graduates who have done really well in the UK and across the world. So after making that decision, I applied to the school and in 2006, I started the undergrad program at Leeds College of Music. So that was the next step for me in terms of trying to further my idea of becoming a musician. It was further education. You decided to pursue jazz. I don't know if that's what your father used to play. Well, actually, he would have been playing Calypso. No, he would have been and, playing Calypso and everything. Mm -hmm. um, very early, I've seen too many musicians play a genre mm -hmm. and stay in that genre and not do anything else. For me, doing music festival and 
being technically proficient and doing all these different things. I want a challenge. I want something to be interesting. I'm going to be doing it for the rest of my life. So mm -hmm. I'm not happy to play at one level all the time. Right. And it could have been classical music, but jazz, I think, spoke to me a lot more. It's something that you are only limited by yourself. Whereas if I were to play Calypso or play in a tent or do that, I'm playing stuff that people give me to play. Right. Whereas with jazz, I can write my own music or mm -hmm. I can find music that I'm interested in to play. So or put your own spin put on. my own spin on it. Right. So that spoke to me very, very, very early. So it was like, okay, if I'm going to pursue something, let me do jazz because it will enable me to work on technique, work on expression and interpretation and just be creative. So that's, that's why I chose that, that art form. What then does creativity mean to you? Because you just mentioned that it allows you to be creative. So I'm interested in finding out what does that mean for you? Right. So for me, especially related to jazz, everything is a language. The way that we interact in like regular English, that's a language. Music is also a language. Um, there's stuff on the page, as in if I give you a poem to read, that is written and in stone, basically. For jazz, as much as there is a language, it's more free form. So like someone being a poet and being able to string sentences together that's not necessarily on a page. That's what jazz is. So for me, being creative is something that allows me to express myself and relate to things the way that I see it. It is informed by the things that have gone before me, but I am still able to say, well, I like this, so I'm going to do it this way and not have the pressure of, well, that's not what's on the score. So jazz allows me to be creative in that sense. So creativity is literally just you saying what you feel to say or you move to say in the way that you know how to do it. How important was formal education for your development? How did it impact you and, and what kind of significance being a teacher as well? Yeah, right, How, right. So yeah. let's talk, let's talk so, about that. So the way I, I see it, and I've actually told somebody before, going to school is great if you can. You don't have to. It's not going to hurt if you do. As long as you are focused on what you want and you're able to pull the things out of whichever program that you're doing. For me, going to school enabled me to get a lot of information that it would have taken me a long time to come to on my own. Got you. Right? So for some folks, that step is not necessary because they might be friends with, like, if you know someone who's already a graphic designer and they're amazing right? and you can apprentice with them. Well, which is practically what happened. Right. <laughs> so then you don't necessarily have to go to a school for someone to tell you something because you're already working with someone who in your estimation is amazing. If in Trinidad, the music scene and the jazz scene was really, really booming and there were a lot of really, really great musicians that had the time to share, then yeah, it would make sense to stay home and do that. Now, I'm not saying that they aren't great musicians because mm -hmm. I've been really fortunate. I've worked with Ray Hallman. I've worked with Clive Zander. You know, I've worked with some really, really great musicians who have shared with me, but there aren't that many saxophone players. So me as a saxophone player, there wasn't really anybody that I could see that I can be like, okay, yeah, I want to study with this person and I'm happy to just taking that information in it. So when I went to school, the first time I had my first lesson, I was like over the moon because person was like, okay, well, you kind of need to work on this. You need to work on that. You need to work on this. You need to work on that. And for me, that was 
me being happy because I had someone now who could tell me, well, this is not working and you can work on this. Oh, actually, that doesn't sound too bad. It gave me a reference of how do I improve? And for me, that's what school is for or any other way to improve yourself. So like I said, it doesn't have to be school, but if it's not formal, the informal setting has to be sufficient to give you what you want or what you need. So only the individual can say whether or not they need school or not. I would never say, well, everybody has to go to school right. because I'm a university teacher. No, that that's madness. You know, you have to make the decision for yourself because obviously when you're there, if you don't really want to go to school, you're not going to apply yourself and then you're going to waste money. You're going to waste time and it becomes pointless. Out of that, how then do you evaluate your work mm -hmm. first and foremost and then the work of your other peers or or people that you play with. Music generally is quite subjective. The way people feel at any particular time affects the way that they hear stuff and the way that they internalize something that's mm. going on. Oftentimes, people hear me play and they come up and say, oh, you sound so good, and this and that. And I take the compliment, but for me, I know there's a lot of work that I still need to do because I listen to people like Michael Bracker, I listen to Coltrane, I listen to Cannibal Adley, I listen to a whole host of players who I don't think I will ever get there mm. but that is the that is the benchmark so as much as someone will say you know you're doing this well or, or you're playing really well mm -hmm. I still know there's a, a long road to walk and the converse of that if someone is highly critical of my playing then first and foremost I need to think where are they coming from when they say these things because criticism can be good and it can be bad if it is someone that I'm close to and they're making these statements with the thought that they're going to help me to realize improve. certain things and right. to improve, mm -hmm. then I can be like, okay, well, let me take it on board and figure out how, how does it apply to me and my, my work. Oftentimes, if that is the case, generally assume that I already know these things because <laughs> most people tend to be really critical of themselves first. True. Unless True. they're a little bit crazy and just think of themselves as the... I think... If someone is about development and growth and just trying to do the best that they can with whatever they're doing, that's all they need. They don't need someone to tell them that they're good or someone to tell them that they're bad because they already know to themselves where they're heading. What they need people to do is to say, well, you know what? That's not working. Can you try this or can you try that? But it should come from someone that has that relationship because people have different motives when they tell you stuff. So someone might be trying to bring you down or whatever it is, and that's the reason for them criticizing you. So it really should come from someone that you know. At least I think it should come from someone you know. So for me, when I go out and I listen to performances, I try to not overanalyze stuff because as a musician, I hear all the little faults. I hear where, oh, that could be tighter and someone probably didn't practice and all these different things. But at the end of the day, people are giving of themselves on a stage. So that is what I need to focus on, the intent of what they're doing. So that is actually how I evaluate music and performances, the intent of what they're doing, because everybody has a starting point and it's a long, long, long journey. So I can't be criticizing someone with no reason who is at a different stage of that journey than I am because it's not the way that people should be. I hear that. So let's talk about you being critical about, <laughs> myself. about yourself. How do you deal with that self-talk? Generally, I feel like most musicians and most performers have issues of 
of doubt, mm. right? Because there's always going to be someone better. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be someone doing something else. Right. And then the question is, well, why don't I sound like this person? Or why am I not doing this? Or why am I not traveling like this person or whatever it is? It, it can carry you to a dark place. I think for me, I always try to remember why I made a decision to do music. And the reason I chose to do music was that I really just love it. And it's something that when I play and I'm on stage and I'm interacting with people who share a similar feeling or understand me in that kind of way, it's really, really a wonderful experience. And it's something that I, I look forward to on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. So as much as, yeah, they're better saxophone players than me. Um, there may be people who can do things that I can't. I'm not in it to try to be like someone else or try to do things the way someone else has done it. I'm in it because I enjoy playing music and that's what I tend to try to go back to. So then would you say then that expressing your creativity doing the saxophone or any of the other instruments that you play does it come easily for you or do you find that sometimes there's a struggle and you need to get over the thing about at least creating in the the realm of jazz and improvisation is that it's a language like i said before mm -hmm. so if you have access to only a couple of words there's only so much that you can say mm -hmm. and sometimes you feel limited Right. So for me, my challenge is sometimes I feel limited mm -hmm. in terms of there are things that I need to learn or I would like to learn so that I can express myself a little bit more or right. a little bit more fluently. I don't ever have an issue when I'm playing as much as in the back of my head, I might be like, okay, well, it would be nice to know this or, or something extra so I can say extra. At the same time, once I'm playing, I'm playing. And that to me is the important thing. I always remember years, 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 years ago when I just started playing a novice, basically, right? I was invited to a concert that was put on by Chantal Estelle and Arturo Tappan was there. Arturo is an amazing saxophone player. This is me as a young musician having to play at the jam session portion of this gig with Arturo. And I'm freaking out because Arturo can really play. And a musician who I had done some work with was in the audience and I saw him and I went over and, you know, we were talking and then I brought up the, the fact that later on I have to play with Arturo and it was really starting to freak me out. And he said something along the lines of, you know, you don't have to worry about what Arturo is going to play because he's being honest to the way that he can play. If you are honest to the way that you can play, people are going to receive what you're doing. That was like the most enlightening moment of my life mm. because it made so much sense. If I tried to play like Arturo and tried to play fast and do all those different things, I would fail because that's not where I was at that time. Or even now, that's not where I am. That's not the way that I play. But if I focused on how I could play, whether it was advanced or not, then people who are there to enjoy themselves and there to support live music or whatnot would see, okay, well, this young guy is playing saxophone and he's doing what he can do. Mm -hmm. And that would be it, you know? So I'm forever grateful to Ron Acqui, that same musician that had that chat with me because he completely changed the way that I viewed music and my part in music, you know? So for me, every time I teach someone, I'm interacting with students, that is what I say to them because music can be super commercial or it can be really artistic. Sometimes there's an intersection between the both where you're really creative and it 
turns out that it's also quite commercial because people get it and, and they're quite willing to pay for it. At the end of the day, if music is something that you're going into, there's no guarantee of becoming super famous or getting rich. So why do it? If you're doing it because you love it and it's something that means something to you, then be yourself. And that is what his statement meant to me. Awesome. Is there a particular state of mind you need to be in when you're going to play or if you're going to practice or, or, or whatever? Well, for me, for practicing, practicing is different to playing because when I'm practicing, I have to be focused. I need to figure out what it is I'm trying to work on because it's quite easy to noodle and do a lot of things that don't lead to a positive result because subconsciously it's i think everybody wants to hear themselves sound good so <laughs> they will practice things that they're really comfortable with right and that's not actually improving right what they do and practice and should practice be. should be about improving what you do so you do the things that are hard you do the things that you don't sound good at you do the things that you know at the end of the day will help you to improve so before i start practicing i I tend to try to think of what would I like to work on. For performance, I generally tend to quiet the noise from the surrounding, try, trying to be as open and just in the moment with the musicians that I play with in terms of interacting with them. So I don't go off in a corner and like quiet with myself. I am actively trying to build that communication even before I get on stage because that's what is, that's what is important for me when I'm playing that I have that rapport with the musician. So I, I hang out and everything, like that, but at the same time, I'm still also thinking of trying to quiet things because when you improvise, there are whole lots of different directions that your playing can go in, depending on what scale you know and what language you're gonna play and all of those different things. At the same time, there's always like a internal voice that kind of goes that if you listen to it, it helps guide your direction when you play. So at least for me. So that's what I try to focus on when I'm preparing for a performance. I want to figure out how did you develop that mindset? Is it something that is innate in you or being around a certain sort of energy or people kind of help develop that? I can't say specifically when I came into it. I think having always been around adults because when I started playing music, I was in the cadet band. Cadets was a thing in high school. I was assigned to the cadet band because I was a musician where there were adults, not other high school people. I always had to interact with adults. I started playing saxophone when I was about 13 or 14. And at that age, I played with Wattie Watkins in South. Watty Watkins was a band leader from the days when we had combos and we had bands. So when you think of Pal Joey Lewis, Pal Joey Lewis is he really the only one that people know about now. 30, 40 years ago, there were several bands and Watty Watkins was one of those guys. So as a young person, I am playing dance music around adults, basically. So I think in terms of having conversations with them and, not, and trying not to sound like a child, <laughs> right? Um, <laughs> I got a lot of advice and a lot of different things and heard different conversations that would have informed the way that I process and I look at the world. So I think that kind of led to my outlook on, on the way that things are. Listening to what you're saying, do you think then that having that support had anything to do with 
you now teaching and being able to be that support system for the students that you interact with? I think it has had a lot to do with my approach to the way that I interact with my students here at the academy because I always feel like I, I wasn't, I was a student not too long ago. It's like 10 years now since I finished because I finished in 2009 and it's 2019. So it's 10 years and 10 years is a considerable amount of time. But in my head, it's, I still feel like there's a lot that I still don't know yet and I, I need to learn. And I understand the challenges that students face and it's easy to dismiss. It's easy to dismiss someone as not making the right effort or they're wasting their time. And often I find myself talking to the students about what, what does music mean to you? What does it mean to you? Because you have the opportunity. I didn't have the opportunity. I mean, gate is kind of going out now, eh? right? Because people are having to pay half and everything. But there was a period where tuition was basically free. I did not have that option when I was going to school. And even when I was going to school, the idea of going to, to UE at the time, because there weren't any woodwind instructors, it made no sense to me. I would have had to go and learn pan or piano or voice. And as awesome as I think the steel pan is, I mean, I really think it's an amazing invention that we own, mm -hmm. right? <laughs> Mm -hmm. And I guess I'll say it. Yep. It is an amazing instrument. Mm -hmm. It's not the instrument for me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a saxophone player. Right. So UE was not for me at that time. But I had to go away and I had to be in the cold and I had to be away from family and face hardship, a little bit of money, all those kind of things. So every time I interact with students, I always ask them, what does it mean to you? And I try to be as supportive and try to place myself in, in their position because guidance is, is something that's important. And I think I don't look that old yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can confirm that you don't. <laughs> yeah. So I think I'm able to associate with them on a, a different level. I'm not their age or I'm not buddy, buddy, buddy. But at the same time, I'm young enough to understand what they're dealing with and old enough to have experience to say, well, you know, you might get tied up with this, but at the same time, try a little harder because this is for you. This is you, are, you have decided to be here. So I think having had the experience with all of the elders that I've worked with and the musicians that I'm around, it has enabled me to, to have a certain perspective on education, but I also think it, it has to do with, with some of my own personal experiences as well. Playing off of that then, if you had a space, say a billboard, and you had the opportunity to put one message on it, what would that message be? <sighs> I have a little phrase, it's called, is, is Mata Tigre, which is kill the tiger. And it was something that a friend of mine told me and he was using it to describe my playing and it wasn't because I played amazingly well it was because I played without fear so even if I wasn't fully comfortable with something I would still try he he basically likened it to like grabbing the tail the, the, the lion by the tail or the tail of the tiger something like that right the idea is that you are where you are don't be afraid. Just do what you have to do. And if you're uncomfortable with where you are, do something to fix it. But always remember, you can only be where you are. Just do what you have to do. Wonderful. Well, Anthony, thank you very, very, very much for your time. Um, I think I took away from the conversation 
proceed without fear, as Jess said. Yeah. Be open to receive counsel and I guess love, love what you do. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, it. That's it. That is it completely. Nice. Thank you, Anthony, again. Thank you for having me. I am Tony Paul, and in a big box of crayons, I would be high flying green. So that's it for us, folks. Thank you for listening. Catch you in the next one. Please share this episode with someone who would find it valuable. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the show now on Apple Podcasts to get new episodes as they become available. Also, please leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us reach other listeners just like you. Find additional content on abigboxofcrayons.com. Follow us on Instagram at abigboxofcrayons. The We Are Crayons podcast is a production of A Big Box of Crayons. All rights reserved. Until next time, friends, remember... We are all the same in the fact that we will never be the same. Stay colorful.